What it do, what it do, it's your girl, Just Be Real, and welcome back for another dope episode of Just Be Real Podcast. Season 3, we're here, full effect again. Um, to end off Women's Month, we are going to get it for one of my very special guests who I have as the realest, my good sis, Clay. Probably tired of me chatting. Let's get real. All right, guys, you have the realest, my love, my Clay. So... It's crazy. The bond with us has grown vastly over in such a short amount of time. Um, but, like, she's one of my favorite people on this universe. Seriously. Clay, introduce yourself. Yes. Hi. <laughs> um, so, thank you, thank you, thank you for inviting me on your podcast. I feel so honored. Um, and, like, just mentioned, yeah, I mean, the bond has been unreal. I feel like. I look forward to my morning devotions from Jess every single morning because she's just such a light to my life. So um, I am so, so very grateful that you invited me on this podcast. So just a bit of context about who I am. My name is Clayvon Jules, and um, I am a project manager for a large academic institution affiliated with the teaching hospital. So um, I've been in this role for about seven years now, and I oversee both domestic and international work being done in the area of preconception care. And what preconception care is all about is essentially looking at factors um, prior to pregnancy that could impact the health of the baby and the mom. So a lot of my work over the last couple of years has been focused on implementation science research and really looking at ways to integrate research into practice because what tends to happen is you do all of this work in a research setting and boom, it never actually goes into the real world. Mm. Um, I've also worked a lot with African-American moms and black women. So that's really our audience for the work that we're doing. So that's just a lot about me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. She's like, I'm like, she's like one of the coolest people. I'm like, oh, she has such the coolest job. I can't, somebody asked him, like, I can't explain it, but I just know it's cool. Like, she gets to do, like, all this cool research. Like, that's all I can tell you. But, like, she's also, yes, one of my sororers, one of the greatest. You guys should already know this by now. Deltas. I'm going to have a bunch of them on here. Oh, that's right. <laughs> In yeah. general. But today's episode is called Public Health to PhD because Clay is currently on a journey um towards that phd lifestyle but she's in the public health and i feel like right now especially with everything going on in the world shots being administered vaccines you know coming with people say out of a pandemic it, it was essential to have somebody who was a millennial to discuss who's actually somewhat being affected and i'm pretty sure your research on how to be able to get your publications done when it comes to having to talk when it comes to public health so you're always on the grind what swayed you into public health um, so it's funny because one of the running jokes that a lot of my colleagues and I have is like 75% of people who actually go into the public health profession started off as pre-med in college. So everybody wanted to be a doctor and then some way along the road, um, they learned about public health, which is really what happened to me. I think growing up, um, the idea of population health and prevention really got funneled into clinical medicine mm -hmm. and more patient-facing direct care. So I think... What often gets lost in that narrative is the ability to scale a lot of the practices and services that you deliver. But to answer your question, I think I found myself during my sophomore year really not feeling like chem, orgo, biology, organic chemistry, anatomy and phys, all of those requirements that went along with the medical track. And so I had an honest sit down with my advisors and I was like, what is my options? What are my next steps? 
And I think that's when they suggested an introductory course to public health called My Body, My Health, which I think painted a picture of health that mirrored what I valued in terms of impact, um, reach on a community, societal, and institutional level. And after that, I was pretty much sold. I changed my major, was still able to graduate on time, and it's been a ride ever since. Ooh, you said it's been a ride. That sounds like it's been, it's like been a, a ride. It a roller coaster. Like that yeah. sounds like something serious. That Six Flags kind of ride that you over here talking about. <laughs> like it must be deep. So, like you said, like you, it's been a ride. It's just something that you like. You said exemplified your morals and values who you were as a person. Mm-hmm. So you published some major work throughout this whole pandemic. How has that experience been going through that, especially? Um, yeah. It's been tiring, but I think it's been extremely beneficial both in terms of next steps steps academically and also to contribute to the science. I think with the pandemic, it opened up the door for people to really want to read more and learn more. And so they're looking for publications. And although my publications are not necessarily specific to the vaccine or the pandemic, I think people are looking to read more and understand more um, about what's going on. I would say um, the majority really highlights a lot of the findings that we've done through those research trials. The publication process itself really teaches you a lot about the importance of following instructions. Um, They give you some flexibility on how you present the data. So I think it teaches you just a lot about how you succinctly um, put out and disseminate a lot of the things that you learn. During a pandemic, it just opens up a lot of time, but I think the process hasn't really changed at all. So how was the process? So since you said the process really hasn't changed at all, have you seen even like minor changes a little bit in what you normally do than what you're doing now, given the pandemic? I think given the pandemic, most of us, especially, so the general format of a publication, right, is you give a background, you talk a little bit about your methods, your results, and then you have a discussion or implication section. So what I've seen most of us doing is in that implication section, we're really iterating the why. So we're tying in the COVID-19 pandemic. So specific to my publication, we've often tied in the need for telemedicine. Mm-hmm. So the, the work that I do has a embodied conversational agent. So it's all done online. And so really tying in the fact that having these more um, acceptable modes of care delivery in a telemedically delivered format is the way to go. I think we've been able to tie that into it. But for people who are definitely doing vaccine research, I mean, it's it's a no-brainer for them to, to tie it into the pandemic overall. Okay. I would agree, though. <laughs> I feel like at some point, I feel like at this point now, the pandemic has been implicated not in just in your field, but I feel like in all fields of work. There's been a change in not even if it's major, but just a, a minor change in just the dynamic of something of, of maybe some method or some normal structure that, you know, would constantly go on if we weren't in it. It's kind of like, OK, we got to alter just like even if it's by a smidge, just to, just to kind of make sure it all works. So it's just no it's crazy to know how something like that can affect everything. And it's mainly like a cause and effect kind of situation. So I think I, I would totally agree with you on that one. So how have you experienced inclusion and diversity in your field? Um, and if so, what is a memorable experience and why? Um, so it's interesting. I think because my work focuses on maternal and infant health specific to black and African-American women, 
a lot of the organizations and stakeholders that I work with really reflect our audience, right? So I'm always surrounded by people who look like me, people who share the same passions as me. Mm-hmm. A lot of people can't come from the same upbringing as me. Mm-hmm. Research, though, overall is not so diverse, and I work in research, right? So I think this was definitely something that was heavily considered, the fact that I'm a black woman, um, you know, in a very, very predominantly white territory. <laughs> right, right considered i do think it's also though given me a platform and for not a lot for a lot of people it doesn't right a lot of people get scared to maybe be vocal um about the fact that they were maybe hired for this specific reason but i think for me it's given me the platform to highlight the perspectives of the women that we talk to in a way that sticks and can be translatable into next steps in an academic environment because i speak both languages right it's all about Mm -hmm. jargon and so i think being able to speak the women because what tends to happen is you know, not all research professionals, although they're hearing all of this, they're not sure what to do with the information. They do all of these focus groups and interviews with women, with black women or under-resourced communities, but they're not sure the, what to do with that information. Right. So I think I serve as a catalyst right, right, and a right. bridge between that. Um, so that's one thing to talk about. But I think in terms of memorable experiences, that oh my gosh, I have so many. Um, but I think I've always appreciated the bonds that I build with the women that I connect with. So although my research focuses on information prior to pregnancy, I always get a phone call or email about, hey, Clay, I'm pregnant. What do I do? And I'm like, oh, I'm not the person you <laughs> want to ask. Not, hey, Clay, I'm pregnant. What do I'm I like, do? I'm not the person you want to ask. Uh, I promise you, I'm not, I have no idea what you should be doing. But it's little moments like that that really show that people trust you you know they 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 don't people don't see you as okay you're a project manager for a research project they see you as oh my goodness you know how to possibly navigate these this healthcare field and i need to know what my next steps are because i don't know what to do right and that's a major trust because yeah. in life you only get one yes so if yes. i'm coming to you for information that means it's like yo you stamp you better than me even googling this right now on wikipedia to figure yes. out what's really going on like on some I mean, web web md type to, vibes yeah but i think it also speaks to just like the fact that people don't trust going to their doctors it's like i have my pcd cool but i have a strained relationship with them such that i don't feel like i can go to them necessarily that, that makes sense though so, as this is called Public Health to PhD, it would only be right to, you know, speak on this part of your life that we have breezed over quickly, but we need, we're we going to get back into. You're currently applying for your doctoral program. What is a big muse to the advancement in education? Um, so, I think I consider myself a forever learner, and not even just, like, academically. If you talk to any of my friends, even with you, I feel like I'm always super inquisitive about the work that you do, your field overall, <laughs> literally just because, right? Just asking those granular details, not because I could do anything to impact it because I don't know how, but because I'm super, super curious. Right. So I'm literally, I'm very intentional and purposeful about the works that everyone does that ultimately serve a purpose for a larger audience. So, you know, for me as a perspective, doctoral student, I was really seeking to advance my own research experience um, to identify some of those barriers to how to implement um, maternal and child health interventions on a broader level. You know, I think we all know that the disparities in maternal and infant death specific to black women and maybe their white counterparts or other races is rooted in a lot of social injustices, um, the downstream consequences of institutional racism across all types of political levels. So I think 
more than ever, there's a dire need for research, um, practice, and leadership that's really intentional about doing this work. And so, you know, I think a PhD provides the independence and the expertise to be able to call for accountability, but to also just carry out some of these uncomfortable conversations that as a nation we need to have. Um, I think my decision also stems from, you know, what I perceive to be an integral component of population health, which is being able to design and implement and analyze some of the research questions that impact under-resourced communities, being able to connect with the women, not just, you know, send people out there, but to have that relationship one-on-one, but then also have the clout to be able to translate that into practice afterwards. I think what often happens is, you know, you're able to connect with them, and then what? You you send that information to someone else, but you can't actually do anything about right. it. Um because you just don't have the credibility to. And so a lot of it, you know, speaks to being able to be, to have that credibility. So do you feel like somewhat of being, because, you know, your family, as as many, a, a lot of African-American families are, have come are from, you're from a Caribbean culture originally. Uh-huh. So how's it being a Caribbean-American because you're Haitian? Uh-huh. Haitian is a really big part of your culture. Do you feel like your roots of being a Haitian woman really kind of is a part of your music. Feel like I can do this for my culture. I'm also doing this to represent and, you know, be something that they can be proud of as well. Oh, absolutely. I think it's something they can be proud of, even though, you know, to be honest, my mom and my dad doesn't really understand what a PhD is. Um, It's it's a little hard to articulate what it is because it's not something that's commonly Mm. uh, in Haiti. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when they hear doctor, they still think of like medical doctor. They they, they can't really distinguish between the two in terms of like what career would look like for someone who has a PhD. Um, But I think that's part of it for sure. So, you know, first generation, I'll be the first one to have graduated from college, have my master's and have a doctorate. But I think it's beyond that. I think, you know, I've met women over the years who trust me with this information and being able to tell their story. And I owe it to them more than anything to be able mm. to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's facts. So how has the PhD process been going, especially because we are in a pandemic? I know that's probably, like, different because don't you have to have, like, in-person interviews? Uh-huh, uh-huh. That kind of whole jazz and stuff. Yeah, I mean, the PhD process, I think, has been something. So, you know, I actively had COVID when preparing my applications. and also. <laughs> so, literally, I had, I remember it vividly, I had a 102.5 fever that Tuesday when I hit the submit button. Like, I was over it. I was just like, you know what, I'm going to give it to God and go to sleep. I do not, I, I do not have the energy or the strength to even really just spend even any more time looking over my application because I was just so tired. I think also pandemic fatigue was the reason why I started my application so late. Child, okay. You just just get to that point where you know what you want to do, but you Mm. just feel like you don't even know where to begin. Okay. Um, And so that, that I think, contributed to even... Because I've always wanted to do it, but... You know, even with all the time in the world working from home, I just could not muster up that energy to prepare a package. So, you know, it really took me a while to get to that button. But I think for the pandemic, it really hit institutions hard more than anything because it's changed the way that the programs interact with students. So having to use Zoom for in-person in- versus in-person interviews or um, the fact that accepted students can't even come to campus to look at the campus before making their determination. I think institutions, if anything, have been hit hard and had to revamp their process quite a bit. Agreed. But I think, yeah, but I think for, for me, you know, it's been 
there's a lot of anxiety, right? Um, because you have nothing but time to wait for when you're going to get an email to hear back. Um, so these last three months, you know, prior to hearing back from schools, have just been every day refreshing my email every 30 minutes. Um, so I think there there was definitely an increase in just how anxious I became during the process. Oof. Talk about my nerves, child. I'd be all <laughs> over the place. I'd be like, ugh, why? Yeah, so, it was stressful. I can imagine. So after you become Dr. Juice, what is the next for you, for your journey? Like once this PhD, you have the doctor in your name. You're like, yo, sorry guys about the background noise. I am not home. I'm at my mother's house. So anything is possible to be heard in the background. Just a fair warning, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but um, what do you have next on your journey? Like it's like, what do what do you plan on doing with this this PhD? What is it gonna mean to you having to be able to be addressed as doctor? You know, I think time will tell. So it's funny because I meet so many um, prospective PhD students who are super interested and they know exactly what they're gonna do and exactly what they want to be and they know everything to detail. And I'm like, sis, more power to you because that's not me, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. Like, while I've enjoyed all of the guest lectures I've done, um, I don't know if I necessarily see myself becoming a professor full-time. And I know that historically that's been um, the mo- most clear-cut path for PhDs, mm-hmm. right, to go into professorships, see the tenure position, and, and do that. But, you know, I think I'm going to be the person that changes that narrative, to be honest. I think that... I do love the management and programmatic side of my career. So in an ideal world, I can, and God willing, I will um, encompass all three. Um, I think none of those, though, are possible without finding ways to make sure that my emotional and mental wellness is intact. So Clay has every intention of taking those trips, having healthy friendships and relationships, finding time to recharge, setting boundaries. You know, I think it's important to also talk about those pieces because when people talk about their journey, they only talk about the career side of things. And that's only one piece of the that's puzzle. Valid. Like, I am valid. going to highlight the fact that I love going out, living luxury. You know, like, I okay, love Okay, black girls in luxury. Girl, right? <laughs> so that's just as important for me. And that's why I say time will tell. So profession-wise, right, I see myself fitting neatly in whatever industry I'm in. Um, but, you know, I think if... if the other and most important pieces of my life don't align, then it means nothing. Wow, that's deep. That's deep. <laughs> that that was just like wow. That was just a deep response. That just touched me. Had me on pause for a second. Like wow. <laughs> just wow. So before we wrap up, this is, I just you know I just feel like it's important to also know this because. I know when a lot of us heard the pandemic in the African-American community, we were just like, as anything else, oh, hey, it's whatever. We heard about stuff like this before. It never really progresses. One of these little, you know, flukes. Then as you went by, like, by the months and hearing, like, the death rates, it's like, okay, this is getting real. When things started getting shutting down, it's like, okay, this is getting even more real. So I feel like there was warning. There were warning signs for us to be aware of this, but just didn't take too seriously. But I feel like, what do you feel the African American community needs to know about the pub about public health, but seem to not be well educated in? Because I feel like there's some things we can be able to prevent if we took a time to learn the knowledge at times with certain things. 
Um, so one thing I will say, you know, the way that I approached, and, and again, I had more of a public health practitioner lens on the way I approached this pandemic. I remember initially talking, and I didn't want to be necessarily a pessimist, but, um, you know, this reminded me very similar to one of the things you learn in your introductory public health courses is the 1918 flu and a couple of other like major plagues that have happened. And they all, for the most part, follow a very similar trajectory, right? Especially when it's more of an unknown or maybe there was um, a known and, and similar virus um, prior to it. They follow the same um, trajectory if you do not have the necessary preventative measures in place um, or don't, don't act on them. But I do think, you know, going back to your question, I think there's this misconception specifically amongst the African-American and Black community. But I think just communities that um, have have not gotten the best treatment from health care, that public health is only about research and that's not necessarily the case, right? right. Um, I work in research, right? But, but I think I am limited. Like this type of research, I like. I don't think I could be sitting in a lab and doing all of that type of research. No, that's not me. That's not my ministry. But, you know, public health is not about research. I think public health tends to be largely informed by research, right? Because through research, you're, try you're trying to get evidence, essentially. What we, what we don't want to do as public health practitioners is tell you something that we can't trace back to something that's evidence-based right. and it's not supported by data. But I think, you know, I've worked with epidemiologists, yes, who look at trends and, and diseases, but I've also worked with people like health policy analysts who evaluate health insurance programs and make recommendations, behavioral people who look at why people things, do the things they do. And a lot of that stems from other fields like psychology, right, or sociology. So public health is very broad in a sense, and I think that people don't realize how broad it is and how um, interdisciplinary it is, that mm -hmm. it integrates so many different fields in one. Um, I think if whatever you do has implications for large-scale solutions, more than likely you're doing something affiliated with public health in there somewhere. Whether you know it or not, it's integrated in there somewhere. I would say that, you know, it's easy to tell people to go and read an article, but will they be able to digest it? And I think right. that's something that um, that I've seen with the pandemic, especially with the vaccine. I know the FDA, with, for, for Moderna, they released like a 50-page article. I read through it, right, because I find that stuff interesting and I can interpret what maybe an odds ratio means or, you know, some of these terms that, of course, if you're not learning this stuff, you will never know. So I think it's, you know, on public health practitioners to find a way to communicate this information in a way that's digestible. But at the same time, I also would urge the public and encourage them to keep an open mind too. Um, so I would say that. Whew, that's, that's, that's a lot. But that's, I do agree with you though. I feel like it has to be a fair. Ends, it has to be fair. I think there's work that needs to happen. Yeah. yeah, I think there's work that needs to happen on both ends. I hate the stigma, the narrative that oh, it's just African Americans or Blacks, you know, and they're not willing. No, it's 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 beyond that, right? They have they have reasons to feel the way that they do, but again. I think communication is a big factor in that, how this information is relayed to them, their understanding for what really happened, what was Tuskegee all about, right? right. I've heard so many different narratives. Um, you know, so I, I would say it's important to challenge, but at the same time, it's also important to be mindful that people are not digesting the information the way that we put it out. I agree. 
So, Clay, if you had to have, like, a saying or a B-roll bomb that you would want to have everybody to just go by and, you know, that you go for a mantra you go by for your day-to-day, that you just would want to share with the people just for them to have in general? Um, I would say move with intention and purpose, um, and passion will find you there. Mmm, that's a good one. That's a good one. And I, think, and I think that's what has kind of guided my trajectory, because one would say, hey, you know, you're inching 30, isn't that a little too late to still be going to school? And, and I would not change my path for anything, because now I have truly, I know that I have my passion, even though I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. You know, I did it with intention, I did it with purpose, and I took my time. So, passion will find you there. That's dope. I totally agree. Yeah. Well, my love, I appreciate you taking the time to kick it with me today. <laughs> Closing out Women's Month. It's been, like, a pleasure and an honor. Thank you for having me. Because you're one Thank of, like, my most loyal listeners. So, <laughs> I appreciate this. you're dope. I mean, you're dope. Why, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But that's it. That was from public health to PhD. That was my girl, Clay. And as I always say on on air, let's keep it real. Be real. Be true. And always be unapologetically you. I will check y'all later. It's been real. All right. That was from public health to PhD with my good sis and girl, Clay. Hopefully y'all enjoyed, got some great information, some gems. Let's go ahead and want to end it off Women's Month strong. And here we are, April, right around the corner. Hope y'all doing well. Much love. Smiles through all four seasons. Shining, 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 shining.